the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It is Southern California Live Hour 2 on this Monday, January 6th. I hope that you had a good weekend. I had a pretty good weekend, but I, I did something this weekend that I have not done, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And that is I hopped a chain link fence. And uh, I made it. I made. It. I had to do it twice. My son had a birthday party at a park where the fences were locked. Apparently, there was one that you could walk around to, uh, but it was pretty far away. I wasn't even sure where it was. And and uh, he hopped the fence, and there was a lot of uh, peer pressure from uh, other parents, um, who you know. So I I did. I I actually made it twice, and I am I'm quite excited about this. And then we played kickball for two hours, and uh, so I am in a wheelchair. But other than that, uh, it was a good weekend. I'm not in a wheelchair, but I'm I'm sore. Uh, but I I gotta say I'm I'm excited about uh, the fact that I I hopped a fence and did not get injured, and uh, that made it a pretty good weekend uh, for me in our household. Plus the uh, the dads uh, uh, beat the kids in the uh, the annual kickball birthday celebration, and uh, all of us are sore today. But you know we feel we feel uh, worthy of beating our ten year olds in uh, in kickball by uh, only one run. My son got me out. He threw the ball, and, and it was legitimate, too. Uh, it wasn't like me letting him get me out. No, he pegged me pretty good, uh, which also makes it a fantastic uh, game of kickball. Uh, anyway, I hope that you had a good weekend, and I hope that uh, you've got some good plans. I hope that you're planning to vote tomorrow. Tomorrow is the election in the primary election. We talked a lot about that in the first hour, and uh, this hour will be related uh, to it, but... Uh, just want to encourage you to keep voting, and you can join our conversation at any time, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. That is the number. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Um, once we get done with all these primary elections, we will start heading towards the general election. And, uh, you know, lots of people make predictions and things about this. Mostly I want you to vote and pay attention. Um, but also to not give up on the things that you are concerned about or to just relegate those things just to an election time. You know, that's, that's a big question, I think. And for us as, as Christians, you know, I'm going to talk about why you should vote, why the issues of homelessness and abortion and, and what kids are taught in school, all those things matter for election times. But those issues don't just go away no matter who wins the election. Those issues are still there, and most of the time, what are we doing? Are we only are we only passionate about whatever these issues are for an election, and then our passion just goes away the next day? That shouldn't be. We should care about these things, uh, no matter where we are in the process. We should actually care. We should care about our country doing better. We should care about our kids. I think extensively. There's a there's a very big concern about our kids today, growing up kind of numb to all the controversies and numb to. Um, the the situations with the the shootings and all of this other stuff we we need our kids to be engaged and hopeful and as believers we can give them hope in Christ right that our hope is not in our government 
as citizens, we should be good citizens. We should vote. We should be involved. And as Christians, I think it should guide how we vote and, and what types of candidates we vote for, and we should be consistent. I think we should be hard on our own. Whatever side we're on, we should be hard on our own side. Make sure that they are towing the line. We're going to have a lot bigger say kind of about certain issues with people on our own side. We'll have better candidates. Both sides would have better candidates if we do that. But we shouldn't forget that our, our hope is in Christ. And maybe God's will is that our country is not going to do well. You know, Tony Evans said uh, last weekend, you know, Pastor Tony Evans, if you know him, uh, things in America aren't going to get better unless we repent, essentially was his message. And he's probably right. Uh, I, don't say, I don't say probably right. He's right. Uh, repent means turn around. Repent doesn't mean just having some kind of mental uh, tip of our hat in God's direction, but we don't really change our behavior. No, repent is changing our behavior. Repent is turning our heart to Christ, turning our heart to what Jesus says being true, to what the teachings of Scripture, that they're actually true, that they actually do speak to the human condition, to human consequence of our actions, all of that. 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. Cindy from L.A., welcome to Southern California Live. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, can yeah. I read you something from Second Chronicles Yeah. 7.14? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal their land. I already voted early. Good for you. I can tell you I vote conservatively. I'm a believer, a follower of Christ. I am definitely disappointed in what our leaders are doing, but I also know that everything that's going on, God is in control. But I will do my best as a believer to make my voice heard, whether it's calling my assembly member and knowing how they voted, so that when they vote in a way that is ungodly, I vote them out when they're up next for re-election. And I'm asking others to do the same, to know how your assembly member has voted statewide or, you know, federal. That's all I can say is just yeah. do what's right in the sight of God. Thank you so much. All right, Cindy, thank you very much for your call, and I appreciate that very much. You know, she quoted, um, obviously, a, a popular verse that people quote a lot. I want to give you a little insight maybe into that real quick, and I say this a lot because it's important that we keep things in context. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. People will say, well, isn't that just for Israel? Is this, this is an Old Testament passage. And you have to answer, ask that question when you're dealing with the Old Testament. Some things are specifically for Israel and not necessarily for any other country or any other time and for God's promises for Israel. But an interesting thing about this idea. Certainly the, you know, the Old Testament, we look at it and we see the laws and the commands and, and uh, you know, which ones do we have to keep today in the new covenant? Those kinds of questions you will ask. And one of the things that you should do is look for the, the heart of it. You know, what, maybe you don't need to keep the law specifically as it's stated, but what was the, the heart and attitude of God behind it? You know, so for example, in the Old Testament, you're not allowed to wear clothing that are made of two different kinds of materials. Okay, so you couldn't wear a wool suit with a uh, silk lining in it. Uh, that would be not allowed. It would be sinful against the law. The reason, though, for that, the reason for that was the idea of not mixing beliefs, that there was a teaching that needed to be rooted in, that 
you don't mix different um, beliefs about God. One of the big ideas, you know, there are no, have no other gods before me, God would say. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Very clear that there is one God. So the purpose of that teaching, which seems like an extreme thing to do, you can actually find a today, in today's world, if you are really wanted to be strict to the law, you can find a moyle who will come out and remove that silk lining from your shirt, your, your suit, and do your best to try to actually keep that law today. That seems like it's ridiculous, right? But is there a lesson from that that we can actually learn? Yeah, there is, is that we shouldn't be mixing faiths. You know, Jesus, the Jesus that Christians believe in is not the same Jesus that a Muslim would believe in, uh, is not the same Jesus that might be drawn by other cults or other types of uh, religions. He's not. Uh, we can't mix the ideas. The Bible clearly does not teach that there is more than one way to God. It doesn't teach that. So we can get the 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 method of that. It isn't about our clothing anymore, but it's about the the heart of God saying, uh, there is only one God. I have no other gods before me. That's still the heart of God. So I'm, I'm getting to that because is this passage about a nation that humbles itself and prays and seeks the face of God, uh, will God forgive their sin and heal their land? Does that count for us or is that just something stated for Israel? And the interesting thing is in the Old Testament, Jonah, the book of Jonah, great book, by the way, book of Jonah. It's not just about you know a guy and a fish. You know, I know that for some of you, the book of Jonah is really hard to swallow. Uh, kind of a big fish tale, you know, for some, you know, that that is only part of the story. And the story is good enough for Jesus, should be good enough for you too. But when you get past that, you find that Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, a pagan nation, a non-Jewish nation. And he calls, he's called there to call them to repent. And they do repent, at least temporarily, for a period of time. And God relents. He relents on the punishment that he was going to send them. And this is why I think we can take this verse and apply it to our own country, to apply it to countries today. No, we're not Israel. We're not the new Israel. We are not, you know, sometimes people say that kind of stuff. You know, I think the United States is probably here in history for the world order, for the creation and protection of Israel for a period of time until God's ready to bring the end times about, probably. That's my opinion, not necessarily a biblical opinion that may have nothing to do with God's plan, but uh, that's one way to look at it. But what I'm really getting at is we're not, we're not Israel, but the heart of God is still, I think, with the nation that turns their heart to him. And believers, you know, this is something that is way beyond the elections. You should vote, you should vote carefully, but you should also move on to also realize that probably the state is not going to solve the problems. I think that they, the state creates the problems a lot of the time. That's that's the cycle of things. The problems we have are often caused by the government, and then we get more government and more taxation to solve the problem that was caused by the government in the first place, who then makes more problems and more debt and more difficulty. Anyway, I would say that this is right. Pray for our country. And, you know, be involved not just with your vote, but with the people that God has placed in your life. Because your your influence, and you have it, everybody listening to this is influential. Did you know that? Do you feel like an influential person? You are. You're an influential person. And you might say, oh, I'm not you know, a pastor. I'm not a politician. I don't uh, have a radio show. Scott, I don't have uh, a lot of people follow me on social media. I'm not influential. Yes, you are. In fact, most of the people who have all those followers and people, they have some influence, but it's not that much really. 
All of us, though, are influential with the people that God has placed in our life. I promise you, you are. You're influential with your people who live in your house, whether they're your family or your next or your roommates, um, or maybe somebody who shouldn't be living in your house. I had that happen once. I got to tell that story one time. But I one time I went on Christmas break. I was out of town, and I was before I was married. I had a roommate, and a guy moved into our house while we were gone during Christmas break. A stranger actually moved into our house and was living there. I'll get to that later. Uh, but you have somebody who is your. That's why you stay tuned to this show and listen for the whole hour because you'll get that story eventually. You're influential over the people in your house. You have influence over things going on in your neighborhood, things in your workplace, the people that you work with, the people you go to school with, your your roommates, your classmates, your coworkers, your lab partner, if you have a you know class at the university, your person you're sitting in next to in the desk at school, um, anywhere you go, you have influence. And it's how you use that influence that really makes a difference. And see, a nation that comes to repentance, it's not going to happen because some politician gets up and leads people into repentance. It's going to happen when the church, you and me, individuals, not some church, not some place that meets in a building and an address, but Jesus's church, you and me, it's when we realize that the call to make disciples is not for the corporate, uh, the corporation that runs your church. It's for you and me as parts of the church and that you make disciples with the people God has placed in your life. When we start doing that, when we're much better at that, we call that group of people your oikos. I talk about it once in a while. I know there's a yogurt uh, and I used to preach on this all the time and people give me all the uh, yogurt coupons. It's tasty yogurt, it's fine. Um, but in the New Testament, the word oikos is all throughout the New Testament. And it's it means house, literally, or household. And it can mean dwelling, but most of the time you find it means the group of people that you have influence over. It means your relational world, the people that you interact with. Sociologists, if you're a sociologist, you'll talk about oikos. And a society runs on the health of the interpersonal relationships of people who work together. Uh, when Jesus said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you're the light of the world in uh, Matthew chapter five, when he said, you're the light of the world, and uh, he calls you uh, in this way, you are, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Is Jesus talking about your decorations in your house? Is he talking about a lamp that you might put, you know, in the window sill in the front of your house so that people see it up and down the street? What does he mean there? Is it some kind of spiritual feng shui that Jesus is teaching here about how to decorate? Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. The word there is oikos. And that culture understood the way a sociologist would understand today that oikos is relational world. If you ever study your classical Greek guys, you know, your Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, those guys, uh, they'll argue about the importance of oikos. And I won't get into all of that. You can read that, you know, there's a guy at UCLA, he teaches a whole class on it, if you want to, on Aristotle and its oikos. But Jesus understood that. And throughout the New Testament, you see that. And the next verse is in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Your light's not going to shine in front of everybody. Not everybody's going to see your light. The people who are going to see your light are the people that you interact with on a regular basis. Your oikos. This is, this is the path. 
my friends. You know, we talk about elections and we talk about all these big things. They, they matter. It's the course of our nation. It's a critical time, yada, yada, yada. All that's fine. But on Wednesday, however it turns out, you've got a handful of people, not very many. Some studies say there's between about 8 and 15 people that you live with, all right, that you interact with. Those are the people that God has called you to at any given moment. It changes. They move. You move. You get different people in your life. But see, those people need to know what you think about Jesus. Those people need to see the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the people who are close enough to you to know if you're really a believer or you just go to church on Sunday, but you don't really mean it. You know what I mean? I mean, how many of us are like that? How many of us, have you thought about that? Like, who are the people in your life who actually would know if you're a Christ follower because they're that close to you? That group of people is your oikos. If you could go on television and tell the whole world about Jesus, there's only a handful of people who know whether or not you're full of it or if you really mean it. That's your oikos, see? And if you think about that, if you've got 8 to 15, and everybody you know, say, in your church has 8 to 15, if you're, if you're a church of 100 people, which is slightly bigger than the average church in America, by the way, your church has 100 people in it, and you think, oh, our church is ministering to 100 people. No, everybody in that church has 8 to 15 people that they're ministering to. Your church is a church of 800 to 1,500 people. That's your church. That's your congregation. That's who you're ministering to. It's that, that's your reach. See, you start to multiply that over all the different congregations that meet, and you begin to see that Christians actually have tremendous influence in this culture, incredible influence in this culture. We have an incredible ability to build in hope, to point people to Christ. What we have to stop doing is believing that the only way people find Jesus is to show up in our buildings on Sunday morning. You know, we have to stop praying, oh God, I pray that my coworker would would miraculously show up to my church on Sunday morning. Now, here's what you do is you make friends with your coworker. You don't just invite him. You invite him at Easter and Christmas. He might go. That's fine. And you can invite him at different times. That's fine. But you build a relationship with that person. You become their friend, which you should be anyway. Even if they never go to church, if they tell you, I never want to hear anything about your Jesus, you still befriend them. And you, you still care about their needs. And when they need help, you help them. And you be that light. And eventually, you know what happens is people say, why in the world are you doing this? And the answer is not because I'm a good guy, because, you know, I'm a smart woman. The answer is because I love Jesus, and Jesus loves you too. And I'd love to tell you about the Savior. You'd be surprised. This is how people come to Christ, by the way. This is, in 2,000 years, almost everybody who's ever become a Christian, did you know this? Almost everybody who's ever become a Christian is a Christian because of a discipleship relationship, somebody that they know who shared Jesus, a parent to a child, a sibling to a sibling, a friend to a friend, a teacher to a student or a student to a teacher, a coworker to a coworker, a classmate to a classmate, almost everybody, almost everybody listening to this. I'd say 95%, 95% of you who are Christians today, you are a Christian right now because somebody you know who cared about you told you about Jesus. That's why you're a Christian. Now, there's some of you, you were having a tough time and you were in a hotel and you pulled a Gideon's Bible out of the drawer and started reading and God led you to the right passage and you accepted God and it's miraculous. Some of you, you were just depressed and you were having a hard time and you clicked on the right video on YouTube and it was the right preacher who's not crazy who told you about Jesus and you accepted it. That happens. 
But that hardly ever happens. Hardly ever. Most of the people who accept Jesus, they did it because somebody invested in them. And maybe you brought that person to church who you've been praying for, who you've been investing in, who you've been caring about, and you brought that person to church and they heard the gospel and then they went forward and received Christ. Maybe that happened, but they didn't do that simply because the pastor had some great message. They did that because you prayed for them, because you invested in them, because you befriended them, because they saw Jesus in you. And it just so happens that at that moment, the every all the pieces came together. People do that, you know, to me, you know, pastor, I became a Christian in your church. Well, or because of your sermon. Well, really? Or did you become a Christian because throughout your life, Christians shared the gospel with you? Your grandmother did, and then your friend, and then your sister, and then this person you worked with who finally convinced you to go to church, and then you heard the thing you needed to hear, and you got saved. See, that's why you got saved. That's the way it works for you. That's a long answer to that question. But my friends, as we think about this period of time, think about the people in your life. Who are they? Write them down. Pray for them right now. Pray that God would use you in your life, in their life. You might because you're plan A and there's no plan B. It's discipleship. That's how God builds his church. That's where the hope is. The hope that we need as we look at this, this hopeless landscape that we have is in you and me telling the people that we have influence over about Jesus and loving them the way Jesus loves us. It gives us purpose. It gives us reason. It gives us reason to repent of our own sins, right? I better stop doing what I'm doing because it's influencing my non-Christian friend who needs to see Jesus in me. I'll tell you what, people respond to change lives. People respond when they see life change in you. That's why some of the best evangelists are people who have repented of terrible sins, people who have recovered from drugs or pornography or other stuff and who have changed, their life is just so visibly changed by God. And they say, how did you do this? And they say, I don't know, but I can tell you this, I was blind, but now I see. It's a great message. That's the way it is. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. You can join our conversation. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Good to be with you today. Scott Furrow, your host. It's always fantastic to be with you together as we think about the issues of our day. Some things coming down the pike. We got the election, of course, uh, tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. I hope that you have voted. want to encourage you to do that. Only 15% so far of Californians have actually voted in it. Uh, and then we're going to have a summer of uh, lots of partisan politics, okay? I, the Supremes will put out their official abortion ruling on the Mississippi case that uh, the the leaked draft, which they still have not figured out who uh, who put that out, by the way. there's I guess the uh, there are some clerks who are lawyering up, so maybe we'll hear about that pretty soon. Uh, but they still haven't figured out how that draft of the potential reversal of Roe versus Wade opinion got leaked. And we also don't know if that will be the opinion. Maybe it got changed. Maybe uh, it was changed before the leak. Maybe it was changed after the leak. There's a story there if it changes, but if it comes out, we'll be talking about that uh, probably for the summer. I don't think it's going to be as big a deal election-wise, as people say, because they're not making abortion illegal if that's the design. Some states will, but they'll put it back to the states. California, um, we're going to notice more abortions in California, not less. 
Same would be true for Illinois, New York, and uh, some other states. And about half the states will have significant restrictions. It's going to change the entire landscape of that conversation. But I don't know that it's really going to be a voting issue. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think people are going to care about the economy and gas prices and inflation. Uh, maybe the war in uh, in Ukraine more than anything. I think they're going to care about crime. Crime is a huge problem right now. Uh, basically, lawlessness. That is the uh, the scary thing. Are you going to watch? So another thing that's going to happen this summer is the the congressional committee that is investigating the January sixth whatever it is you want to call that, the, the riots and stuff that happened at the Capitol, uh, they're coming out. And, uh, you know, people have been wondering about that. Are people going to care? Or what are they really going to release? You know, is there going to be a blockbuster moment to this? You know, some kind of thing that they're going to uh, put out there. One of the things, that, and I'm just, I'm kind of, I definitely am a wait and see kind of person. You know, it, when you, when you give things some time, the truth tends to come out, you know, or at least some clarification of what is more likely to have happened. Uh, and I don't know, you know, the weird thing with Donald Trump is every time they think uh, they say, Oh, Donald Trump's going down, you know, then it turns out uh, he's not, or it wasn't true. or It was only partially true. You know, remember when they said he's lying about the uh, vaccines coming out, they're not coming out for a long time. And then sure enough, a week after the election, they came out just like he said, um, he said that they're, you know, wiretapping Trump Tower. That sounded crazy until it's not entirely right what he said, but it was, you know, from a layperson perspective, it was basically right. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what they're going to say with this, and I kind of leave it to that. But what I'm I'm curious about is, does anybody care? At the end of the, what if they did come out with some blockbuster thing that Donald Trump planned to, uh, you know, take over the country like uh, like Lenin or some kind of czar? Let's just imagine that that for a moment that's what they come out with. Uh, since it didn't happen, are people going to care? Were people really trying to kill uh, Mike Pence? Was uh, were the was Donald Trump really flushing White House documents down the White House toilet? Uh, it's a crazy question. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, well, they probably had a toilet paper uh, shortage too. You never know what the reason was for that. But uh, I don't think that's even, even accurate anymore. A lot of those stories and things that have come out um, – you know, there's like seven hours of no phone records. That turned out not to be real, that story that came out. What's really odd to me that I think makes it sound to me like there's not going to be a big story is, according uh, to the news today, uh, an ABC News executive, James Goldston, has been hired by Congress, this committee, to produce these hearings, like Hollywood style. And to me, I'm thinking, you know, what if the evidence is really there, why do you need that? You know, why can't we just have the same old boring C-SPAN style thing? Maybe maybe they think no one's going to watch, and they're probably right. But if you have to bring in Hollywood to it, are people going to trust whatever you put out there? See, to me, I'm thinking, well, if you feel like you got to hire, you know, some director to come in and direct these congressional hearings for the sake of the viewer, I don't know. To me, I don't know. So I, I like to just wait and see, wait and see what they what they plan to do, but – they're putting it together on TV, supposedly, maybe all of the networks. Does anybody watch regular network television anymore? And not just your apps on your Roku TV or whatever. The broadcast is being treated, according to Axios, as a blockbuster investigative special. Are they going to have theme music, you know, for this now? There's you know, the guy who's at CNN who I think they just let go. 
who, like, every time there's a crisis, has new theme music. CNN's trying to get more journalistic, they said, so they, they want to get rid of the breaking news. Everything's breaking news. Every single thing is is uh, breaking news, you know. Uh, Johnny Depp wore a red tie in his, his trial today. Breaking news, and there's a new theme song to it. Bum, 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 bum. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's going to be kind of crazy, and I don't know what to think of it. I guess we'll just wait and see. And uh, I'm curious if it matters to people, if it matters to you. 888-528-2557. You can join our conversation. Michael from Los Angeles. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hi. Um, uh, I just want to make a comment on the left. Um, people that actually don't um, know that they use their, um, their ability to um, – uh, I'm sorry. It's it's hard to explain. Um, you know, Netflix uh, released a documentary last year. It was called The Social Dilemma, yeah. where they exposed that um, I would I would think that each and every one of us, um, or so they made it seem, uh, who uses Facebook or these big tech um, companies, um, uh, whatever you know, they they have either the the internet or the Facebook accounts. They say that there are people that actually monitor us. And they're watching us through our phones. Um, one crazy thing I found out is uh, they use this power of surveillance to actually shape and uh, mold a society into the into the way they want to do it or want it to become. Um, yes. And uh, the crazy part is, is what I found out is these people are Satanists, and they actually uh, use this uh, power right. of. Um, hold on a second, Michael. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on a second, Michael. Thank you for your call. You know, I think that. It's interesting what's happening with social media for sure. Um, but there's not, they can't be watching everybody. Everybody's on social media and there wouldn't be anybody left to watch, right? Or to, to do all that. The Satanist thing, be careful. I think, I don't think we need to, and I, you know, Michael, thanks for your call. I think that we, you know, we need to look at what's going on in our country as spiritual for sure and that the devil is doing stuff. But I don't think that people need to be declared Satanists in order to be doing bad things or to be manipulating the system. Um, or, you know, if if people are and you don't really know, we can't really say that. Uh, we can't say that. You know, the uh, governor of New York today, uh, Kathy Hochul is her name, um, she's calling for executives of social media companies to be held accountable um, for what happens with some of these shootings and other things that go on. So one of the things we are learning is that social media is definitely uh, influencing some of these violent acts um, and connecting people with pretty crazy beliefs like this uh, shooter in particular in Buffalo. Um, and the hard thing is how, you know, how do we hold people accountable uh, people on the left tend to hold the companies accountable. So you want to hold the gun manufacturers accountable or social media companies accountable. Uh, sometimes, you know, cynically, I think you want to hold everybody accountable except the shooter uh, who should be the one held accountable. And he will be. He's going to go to court. He'll be found uh, guilty. Um, we need to be aware of the manipulation that happens. See, I don't think that that Facebook or anybody working for the Facebook company or whatever social media that kid was on, they probably have no idea what was influencing that kid. There's like 12 people who work for Facebook as a company. Do you know that these media companies, uh, they can be very, very small. There's more than 12, but there's not really that many employees. And, you know, and then we should be careful what 
you know, we're, we're reading and forwarding around because some of that stuff is just not true. That's, that's one of the things I'm interested, you know, getting back to this uh, January 6th hearing. I'm curious about what are some of the stories, like flushing the paper down the toilet in the White House or the seven hours of missing um, phone records, which I think also turned out to not be true. How many of these stories are even true? How many of the, what stories are true and what stories are not to sort of fantasy that, that come around? You, you find out that a lot of things that people start to believe, and part of it is social media today, um, are not true. Part of it's just the way humans are. We tend to believe whatever things sort of fit the narrative we want for a while. And sometimes those things are just uh, not true. That's why when we had the school shooting a couple of weeks ago, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about why we need to wait to figure out what the facts are, you know, what really happened. And the facts have changed a lot in a couple of weeks from what we originally heard, right? There's a lot of disturbing things coming out of there about how it was handled and, and uh, different things that were going on communication-wise with the police and with parents and other things. And as that story develops, we get a better picture of what really happened. At some point, we'll get a better picture of what that kid was up to and where to get the guns, where to get the money for the guns, what was he struggling with? You know, in, in that case, you know, we know now that the police knew about this kid. They're just not allowed to do anything. Um, and I think that's a uh, important thing to realize. When we're, when we're talking about the gun control issue, a very interesting thing is, is district attorneys around the country. So there were several uh, mass shootings this weekend again. One happened in Philadelphia. And the district attorney in Philadelphia is coming out and wanting to uh, go after the NRA and deal with all of that. But an interesting thing about it is, is if you're not going to go after the people with the guns, because what's happening is the same district attorney is not prosecuting people who get arrested for having illegal weapons. And so if you're not going to prosecute all of the people who are caught with illegal weapons and they're allowed basically to go back out to the street Maybe you've confiscated their illegal weapon, but if they can go just get another one if they want to, then what good is it going to do to have a red flag law if you're not going to prosecute or if you're not going to uh, fulfill the law? It's a, it's a time of lawlessness. If you're looking for the devil in all of this, uh, look at the lawlessness that we are dealing with in our culture today. I think you will find uh, the devil in that. All right, we'll continue in just a few moments. If you want to join the conversation, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. It is the 6th. Remember to vote. Remember to vote. Your time to vote is tomorrow. You can vote right now. You can mail your ballot in. Make sure you vote by tomorrow or you can't vote in the primary. And it matters. Lots of issues that are that are on there. Before the break, we're talking again, one of them in in Philadelphia. And one of the things I want to point out here is this in in Philadelphia. And we're seeing this across the country. Another thing that is a ballot issue that's happening in many states is how we deal with crime. Usually inflation or crime, that's probably one of your number one issues for the election this year. If the election uh, were held today, but it's held tomorrow, it'll still be your issue. Uh, The district attorney, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, uh, 14 people were shot, three died in a mass shooting with multiple shooters in Philadelphia yesterday uh, or Saturday. Um, He blames the NRA for the mass shooting, and he tweeted this out. 
The terrible crimes last night on South Street tell our Pennsylvania legislators it's time for real action. Boycott NRA lobbyists, boycott NRA donations, and bring real common sense gun regulation to Pennsylvania now. Still, nobody is uh, really agreeing on what common sense gun regulation is. What's happening in Philadelphia is the gun violence is, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, surging to unprecedented heights. And there's two trends that have continued to build. Thousands of more people are being arrested for carrying guns illegally. So there's a lot of illegal guns in Philadelphia. But the other thing that's happening, and that's increasing, the other thing that's happening, though, is the chances of being convicted in court have fallen by nearly a quarter. And it's creating a problem between the Philadelphia Police Department and the district attorney's office, much like we have in San Francisco and Los Angeles right now and Seattle and a lot of other big cities where what's happening is police are averaging nine arrests per day of for illegal gun possession, nine arrests per day of illegal, illegal gun possession in Philadelphia. That's twice as many as last year at the same date. And they're on pace for over 3,000 gun arrests this year. But meanwhile, people accused of illegally carrying guns have seen their chances of getting convicted plunge from 63% to 49%, and it's plunging quickly. And so what's happening is people accused of carrying illegal guns have had a you know, 50-50 chance of beating it in court. And so the Inquirer is looking at cases where the most serious crime was a violation of the Uniform Firearms Act, which is nonviolent offenses that can range from carrying an unlicensed weapon, a misdemeanor, to being barred from possessing a firearm due to a previous conviction, a felony that can lead to years in prison. The police use those kinds of arrests to help reduce crime. They believe it really does reduce crime because you take weapons out of the hands of people who later might use them. This is something you find from police across the country who believe if you can get the illegal guns out of the hands of people, you still have a problem with people who want to do bad things with legal guns. But to get the illegal ones, they're already illegal. The laws have already passed that they can take those guns. It helps a lot. The police commissioner in Philadelphia, her name is Danielle Outlaw. That's her name, Danielle Outlaw. You have to vote for a police commissioner. I don't even know if that's an elected position, but her name is Outlaw. Police Commissioner Outlaw. All right. Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw said Philadelphia's criminal justice system has become a revolving door for repeat gun defenders, leaving most of them on the street with their weapons with little reason to fear the consequences of being caught. Point is, let's assume that somehow people come to agreement on passing red flag laws. Red flag laws allow you to flag somebody who you think might commit a violent act with a weapon and uh, you can call the cops and their guns might be taken from them temporarily. There'll be a hearing and you've got to prove that they're a danger to themselves or to others. We have similar laws uh, for people who might commit suicide or be suicidal uh, drug addicts, things like that. Some people think that that would be a, a potential help for uh, dealing with, with guns, maybe. Uh, lots more people are on board with that. Uh, other gun restrictions, some here and there. But here's the point is let's say you passed all of those. Let's say everybody agreed, you know, on whatever gun legislation you're going to pass. But if the district attorneys won't prosecute, then it doesn't matter, does it? I mean, isn't that kind of uh that's part of the lawlessness problem that we're having here is that people are wanting legal changes. And even if we all agreed, and I know people have different opinions, but even if we all agreed, well, if the DAs aren't going to prosecute, then what difference does it make if you pass whatever laws? It doesn't matter. Here in Los Angeles, you know, there's a, a terrible, I don't even want you to watch the video. I'm disturbed by the video, okay? A 16-year-old, a hit-and-run driver in a stolen car, 
ran over a mom and child in Venice uh, a while ago and was sentenced to only five to seven months in juvenile camp. And Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon uh, said it was an appropriate resolution. But the problem is that the 16-year-old already has prior criminal history. All right, the juvenile was on probation. This is according to uh, Fox News Los Angeles, Channel 11. The uh, juvenile was on probation and was violating the probation at the time of the hit and run. If you watch the video, he deliberately runs over a mom who's pushing her child in a stroller. It's horrifying. Uh, He had been previously convicted of a felony, uh, and the felony was poisoning. He poisoned a teen girl's drink at a uh, high school gathering in 2019, and she went to the hospital. And despite his criminal history, the uh, DA is not going to prosecute him as an adult. This is attempted murder that he should be up for. He tried to murder. it. It's surprising that this mom and child even survived getting run over this way. Pretty severe. Something else to pray about is, you know, the lawlessness that is in our society is not just people who are breaking the laws. It's the people who are supposed to be upholding them like these DAs. We've got to get past this. 888-528-2557. Mark in Fullerton, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, Scott. Hi, Mark. Are you with me? my call. Hi, Mark. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, um, the, the, the problem boils down to uh, the fact that leftism is a mental disorder to begin with. That's number one. Well, Number okay. Two, calling for <laughs> common sense gun laws is is you have to have common sense in the first place. There's already over ten thousand gun laws already on the books, and every time they want to pile on another gun law, it's stupid and it doesn't work because criminals, do you think, by definition, do you think don't there's any? Right, that's part of the problem. Mark, do you think that do you think that there are any gun laws that could be passed that would actually do anything to prevent criminals from uh committing these crimes? No, I don't because if they, you know, you pass gun laws and the only people affected are the legitimate law-abiding citizens every time, every time. And uh who was that the, the guy in Texas that was uh it was uh, uh, foaming for the camera in Texas when the Texas thing happened. Was a uh, dem- was that Democrat uh, uh, Francis? That was uh, uh, Beto. Yeah, Beto. Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, uh, man. that was that was Beto. Name, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. yeah. All right, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for calling. You know, I understand. You know, both sides call each other. Uh, you know, mental disorders, and you know, let's. Let's try to keep it uh, to the facts of what's going on. I think Mark has a great point that one of the problems with some of the laws that we want to put out there is the only people who it affects are law-abiding people who aren't committing the crimes. And that's one of the problems. That's the point I'm making about even what we're seeing with these DAs. If they're not going to prosecute even the gun crimes, then what good is it going to do if we even came to some agreement on what to do? And you're right. Most of these gun laws, they are followed by gun owners not followed by people who aren't. It's it's a big problem. This is the lawlessness, and it's it's criminals who are lawless, but then it's also in the system when we have elected officials who don't want to obey the law. All right, that is a, a continual problem that we are having. We need to be we need to be following um, those laws or making the laws better, but we've got to have a system where we we follow the, follow them.
All right. Anyway, lots going on in the world today, and I I want to get you to be uh, just listening uh, and paying attention to what's going on in the world today. And make sure that you vote. We only have a couple of minutes left, so I just want to remind you to go ahead and vote. We talk about these things, about the lawlessness of our culture, the lawlessness even of people who are in office. You know, I don't know what's going to happen ultimately when it comes to this January 6th hearing. Maybe it's just going to be a show. Maybe there's going to be something significant. There's going to be a lot of accusation. They hired a uh, a Hollywood director to go out there and uh, um, produce it. Uh, that's strange to me, very strange. If you're just going to have a bunch of facts, I think people would be interested uh, in that ultimately. I think people, I think most people want to know, is there something nefarious or was it just something that got out of control and something stupid that uh, people shouldn't have done? There's a difference between just people acting stupid and and some kind of uh, nefarious movie plan to overthrow the government. Uh, It's a completely different thing. Uh, this is one of the reasons why it matters that we pay attention, that we vote. Can I encourage you once again to fill out your ballot, get it in the mail tonight, get it in the mail tomorrow, or just drop it off. If you're going to do it tomorrow, just go to your polling place, bring your ballot with you, and hand it to them. Make sure you've signed the envelope. Uh, And if you don't like any of it, then go in there with it and say, can I get a new ballot and vote here? And they'll say yes, and they'll take your – you can't have two ballots – I think you can't have two ballots. I don't know. Maybe you can. I hope that you don't. Um, what you want to do is is uh, make sure, though, that you vote. And don't think to yourself, well, I'll get around to voting. You know, oh, I'm going to make it. No, make it a point. Take the time off. Your employer is supposed to even give you time off to vote. I don't think you can take four hours to go vote. You might get four hours to go vote, oddly enough. You actually have to vote. You can't go vote in five minutes and then take three and a half hours off. Take advantage of that. Don't make an excuse to not vote. And you don't have to vote for every single candidate on the ballot. Vote for the races where you know what you're doing. It's okay to leave some of it blank. You don't have to vote in every box. That's another thing I think that would be helpful for people. But maybe I don't know what this person's about. You know, maybe I don't know what this is. That's fine. Vote for the ones that you know about and vote for the best candidate, not necessarily just the candidate. You know, in the primary election, it doesn't have to be about the lesser of two evils. It can be about you picking who you think is the best candidate. That's how we get out of a lot of this stuff. All right, friends, we're done for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, this is Scott Furrow. You're listening to Southern California Live. Thank you for being with me. You can get podcasts of this program by going to kkla.com. Go to the program guide. Look for the Southern California Live page and the podcast and uh, check us out. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back with you tomorrow from 3 to 5. Have a great evening. Good night. Hey, did we uh, did we lose something? Because I have uh, Kevin like waving his hands at me, and oh, okay. All right, I'm like, do I do I need to stop? Okay. All right. Our <laughs> okay, all right. I just wanted to make sure I knew what in the world was going on. <laughs> when 
when everybody starts running around and waving at me, then, uh, you know. Okay. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.